0: rely on on x hunt when i'm hunting turkeys it is an invaluable turkey hunting tool there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids The Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. The Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything.
2: There he is already. Did you just do it? He's done.
0: <laughs> I'll explain what he just did in a minute. But you know what happened to me today that was kind of funny is I was flying with a, uh, a muskox tongue, the tongue of a muskox, in a Ziploc bag brined. And I'm going through TSA in the airport in Seattle, and uh, it flags Right, and they got to check my bag. And
1: it you were down, carrying
0: it. it was, yeah. I had it in my carry on. A brined tongue. I mean, when you look at you, like that's a tongue in a bag. And she says, oh, "I need to inspect your bag." And we go over to inspect it, and she says, um, "There's an organic mass <laughs> in this bag." And. I made a joke about organic masses, but then I was worried that she'd think I was hitting on her and something weird. Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, you know those organic masses, but I left it. Yeah, but an organic mass. She pulled it out and said, and it's just a tongue in a bag. And she said, everybody loves their fish. Say yeah. I did. Yeah, and go like, well, actually, (laughs) but um, yeah, meat sets it off. It does. Because, yeah, my that turkey <clears throat> set it off. It got me in trouble. That was in actually. a checked bag, right? Yeah. Is that when you want... Oh, tell that. Because that's interesting
1: <clears throat> about TSA. We get a lot of people who write in and ask various questions about yeah. how you fly with meat. And... I think I've told this story before. We're trying to make it short. But, yeah, I got called back to security after I'd already gone through. I'd come all the way back through. And they're like, yeah, they need to see you in the back room about your checked baggage. I go in there, and on all the... Nice stainless steel tables. My big red duffel is completely you know, t- taken apart. All the pieces are laid out. And I happen to have a whole turkey chopped up in there, cold. Giant organic mass. But there was like a tail fan. I was bringing the wings home for the kids. Two breasts, the legs. It's all there. Spurs, you know, because the kids want to see all that shit. So I'm like, what? They're like, well- this set it off pointing at the turkey breasts because, again, large organic mass. But the reason you get, you're get you in here is because we were in there looking for that, we found a loose shotgun shell. <laughs> loose turkey bullets. Yeah, loose turkey bullets. And so that's what got me in trouble. But luckily in checked baggage, they don't have to do the whole um, like cop check your hole. background and, and, and the cop uh, report. But the funny part of it was that it was one of those heavy shot. And if you hunt turkeys and you use heavy shot, you know it's like –
0: You touch the trigger, there goes four or
1: five bucks. Yeah, four or five bucks. (laughs) And I knew that in my nice case, I had some like cheap Remington stuff. I was like, hey, if you don't mind, instead of taking that one, can I swap out? You can take my cheap Remington (laughs) one. I had a heavy shot back. He was cool. Yeah, he's like, no problem, bro. I was like, cool, thanks. (laughs) He packed it all up and left. Now, you just got
0: uh, the problem where you try to go walk onto the plane with ammo, which is a different deal. 20,
1: 20 rounds at 22.
0: And you had to talk to the policeman. Yeah. That's what I had to do mm-hmm. before.
1: But it was in Bozeman. They were cool.
0: Yeah. It had to be in Anchorage, and they knew that I wasn't trying to pull a fast one. Yeah. I had just hunted Tarmigan that day. You know, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it, buddy. But here's the deal. Now we got to act like you're trying to sneak onto the plane with ammunition and go <laughs> through all the steps. Though obviously you're just like, you know, every other idiot who comes through here with like bullets in his pockets at the Anchorage airport. But I had to talk to police man and take some information down. I had a morning at the
2: Anchorage airport where I was coming back to the States with a black tail on my backpack. And I remember going through security and the deer's entire head was inside my backpack concealed. But when I went through the x-ray machine, they could obviously see inside the backpack and the girl's face behind the machine. And she like looked at her supervisor and she looked at her coworker and then she looks at me and I'm just like, Hey, it's Alaska, and I'm taking a deer back to Montana. Pretty cool big, about it. Super cool about it. I had a friend
0: that was carrying the antlers one time, and they had a big debate about the antlers. And in the end, he was able to bring the antlers on. Cool. Another guy was the just talking. The debate
1: that they could be a weapon? Whether,
0: yeah, whether it was weaponized or not. Someone we were just talking to had a bunch of weird stuff in his fishing vest. Who was that? An old man? Flying with the fishing vest. I missed that one. And he had all kinds of like semi weapon like items in his vest. Dippers. <laughs> and he was, <laughs> and he was like really flippers. confused. And they kind of said like um, that it's, they made him who's just telling me this? They made him get on the plane and they're like, okay, hey, you put it in the overhead bin and don't mess with it till you get where you're going.
1: But that's you going to stop the plane from getting hijacked. But, you, <laughs> but that's on one no. hand, you think it's
0: entirely rigid. Right, Like there's a set of rules and yeah. there's no room for individual interpretation within that. But when Nick Brigden had a set of deer antlers, they debated it. And apparently with this old man, they debated what he had going on in his fishing vest. And there was a level of, you know, weighing in on it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, their mandate is looking for hazardous materials that would be hazardous to the plane and air travel. Like I've heard they, like if you, you could have other illegal junk in there and it's not their concern. Right. Like it's not what they're looking for. I had a man, I flew recently, I got I had a bag pulled out because I had a big hunk of iron ore in it. And the guy's like, I need to look in your bag. I said, yeah, I got a piece of iron ore in there. He goes, ingot or raw? <laughs> I'm like, in fact, it's raw iron ore. And they let me go. And I had another time in the last few weeks where I had a mammoth tooth. And Pulled that out, never even asked what the hell it was. Gave it a good looking over, sent me on my way. Like he, I feel like you could have like a dude's arm in there. <laughs> and it'd be that they,
3: it's not their mandate to
1: pull it out. I think it'd be, depend on the state of decay, they might take you aside.
3: Or if you had a $100 bill duct taped to the arm. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, I'll look the other way here. Or if you laid a
0: bag up that had one of those handcuffs and it was still handcuffed to a sandwich <laughs> and you ran that through the thing. I need to check your bag, sir. Um joined by Chris Gill, Ridge Pounder, um, Jeff Sposito, right? You that's some correct. kind of
4: Italian? It is an Italian name, yes. I wonder
0: if you're more Italian than I am. How many gr how many grandfather parents are do you have that are Italian? Just my
4: uh, just my grandfather and my dad's side. But yeah, that's the same thing as me. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: one
4: grandparent. Yeah. So I try to like relate to Italian culture, but,
0: um, but it's just really hard for me.
4: Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm American.
0: Yeah. <laughs> with a, with man,
4: Sposito is my last name.
0: So. Yeah. My old man was brought up speaking. He was raised by his grandparents. So he was raised by full on oh, balls out Italians, yep. immigrants. was raised to speak Italian in the home. Um, Later in life, he moved out to Michigan. It was like it never happened. He We're, didn't care about the language. South side of Chicago, right by what was yeah. Comiskey
4: Park. So my my grandfather uh, lived and grew up in Pittsburgh, but came over. Same Italian speaking family. His parents never didn't speak in English. Similar similar story. Yeah,
0: he was my dad's. Like didn't eat the food.
4: Would now and then try to remember
0: a word. Houston, one of his he had a handful of insults. One of them was that you were a mingula morta. <laughs> now I've asked a lot of Italian speakers, like what would that mean? And they're like the best I can tell, it's like uh you're like a dead dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then he had another insult, which in my mind was was vatanabishaku. And I've said that to many Italians, and they're like. Yeah, uh, don't know. That, that that doesn't even sound <laughs> like I don't know what that is. Just made that up. But that was the Italian words he had, yeah. Couldn't have cared well, less. But anyways, good to meet you like, and yeah. a fellow Italian. Yeah.
4: Well, interestingly enough, just tying off the Italian thing, I just learned my cousin uh apparently we have enough Italian in there that you can apply for dual Italian citizenship. Mm. I don't know what the laws are, really? but but yeah, oh, I, yeah it blew it my mind too. too. And I, then I started to ponder what would be the advantages of having this or the disadvantages. But she, uh, but my cousin was able to get an Italian, dual Italian citizenship and Italian passport. I don't know I mean, what the advantage is. I'm not that. sure either, but it sounds cool. So maybe something to look well, into. Well,
0: if you wound up in some, you know, Mexican jail, you'd have two embassies. To call. You could have like two embassies simultaneously, <laughs> plan working, plan B. simultaneously <laughs> working on your behalf.
4: I guess that's an advantage. Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure there's, there's an advantage, but there you go. And then Peter. Pete. Pete. Pete.
0: Who's holding a dog shocker. Oh, yeah. You got a dog out somewhere right now.
2: Oh, yeah. He's tied up outside. Oh, he's tied up. He's in the truck. Yeah, we can actually see him from right here. So you're keeping an eye on him. Oh, I can see him.
0: And he would rather be killing house cats.
2: Well, chasing house
0: cats. I don't mean to say killing house cats. chase this family friendly. Let's just leave it to the wild ones. Yeah. Tell me your last name again. I forgot your last name. That's not occurring to me right now. Munich. Pete Munich. Yep. Um. So we got dual things going on here because Chris- you got nothing. No. Chris is just in town and I felt and he just rather than being alone in his hotel trying to figure out how to get cable to work or something. <laughs> <laughs> um Chris is a cameraman that works with us.
3: And you just put in a long hard day. Yeah, I wouldn't say a hard day. Yeah, it was a fun day. Yeah. It was a day. We weren't climbing ridges or anything.
0: Um Pete Munich you do many things but Rocky Mountain
2: Goat Alliance. Explain that real quick. So the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance is a. That's your brainchild. I guess you could call it my brainchild. Yeah, with the help of many talented people along the way, has become the leading conservation organization for Rocky Mountain goats across North America. All right. Do you guys have members? We do. Oh yeah. So,
0: um. It's a. It's an animal that doesn't draw. You know, it doesn't have its focus group correct it does now it does now right it never did have his focus group correct you've read all the books by duncan gilchrist quite a few of them and yeah. his videos <laughs> now, there's not many mountain goat writers, but he is if there are two i'm guessing he's probably the best oh he's the he's a pretty
2: he's a legend right there
0: but the guy that wrote uh the beast the color of winter chadwick yeah not real hunting friendly no but nor uh, are his colleagues <laughs> but um
2: but uh an informative book anyway yeah, the Beast of Color Winner is a, an incredible book. Um, certainly doesn't highlight hunting the way that we try to. Um, is he still alive? Yep. Yeah. Lives in Montana. Yeah,
0: yeah. He's 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 a good guy. He's you know he um I don't know it's weird because like when a, you get a, like a researcher, you know, but but they spends a lot of time in proximity to the animal, you can kind of go two directions, and you kind of almost develop like this like anthropomorphic kind of relationship,
2: you know? Sure. But that's an informative as hell. Yeah, it's incredible. You know, there's not a lot of literature on mountain goats. Yeah. And certainly not a lot of literature for the general public. So The Beast, The Color of Winter is a very valuable book to the mountain goat. Yeah. Um, Gilchrist has so many awesome
0: observations. I love that. You know, he's like an astute observer.
2: Oh, yeah. And accidentally,
0: he's an accidental very good writer. (laughs) When I say that, I mean, I think that, I don't think he would, he, 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 set out to try to emulate styles, but he accidentally writes like Hemingway. Mm, interesting. You know, these, these very like clear declarative sentences. He like says a very true thing, then says a very true thing, then says a very true thing on down the line. And winds up having these like kind of like accidentally beautiful passages. It's kind of hard to
2: argue with a guy like that.
0: Yeah. It's, yeah. He, there's like an authoritative sense. And then Jeff Sposito. Yeah. From Italy. From Italy. From <laughs> dual citizen. Possibly soon. Oh, you even have a hat. Yeah. The reason Jeff's here is I want to talk a little bit about, um, so we got two kind of like two organizations, So two, two goody two-shoe do-gooder organizations represented here. <laughs> I've never been called that before. That you actually couldn't get that name. You tried to be the two, sh- the Goody Two Shoe Alliance, but had to go with the Rocky Mountain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wasn't able to, Wasn't able to get it on paper. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so
4: break down what you got going on the two percent. So, so similar to Pete, thanks to a lot of help, but uh, but we started an organization called Two Percent for Conservation, and uh, and really the primary objective is to to help conservation groups. uh, Get, uh, help them fund their mission work uh, by bringing industry companies and giving a way to get industry companies more involved and at the same time uh, how how this really came to fruition was understanding that that companies that do give back to conservation uh, sh- deserve recognition for for what they do uh, and and what they contribute and uh, trying to find a medium or, or a platform to help them get recognition to con- from consumers for for what they do for conservation groups.
0: Yeah. So you go on there and you see that it that that's there and, and sure. you know what you're doing. Now I look, I don't know if you can even talk about this. Can you talk about like, cause I see that name and something pops into my mind. Can you talk about that? Or you're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah.
4: I think we can talk about whatever, whatever. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, there's what is it? 1% for. Yeah. It was 1% for the planet. Yeah. And that's uh so 1% for the planet is an organization that, that was started by Yvonne Schnard, who's the founder of Patagonia and, and a fellow named Craig Matthews, who owns a fly shop here in West Yellowstone, just south of us, and uh, uh, don't quote me on this, but 12 or 15 years ago, they started One Percent for the Planet, mm-hmm. based off the principles of of businesses that make a living uh, on on the planet. Outdoor industry should be given back to uh, to environmental causes, yeah, uh, and, and protecting the planet. And um, and their models, it's been very successful. They have. I think over 2,000 member businesses now. Do they really? Yeah, it, and it's all uh, in
0: the out, all in the in the softer outdoor
4: industry. Well, it's it's uh it's very broad. I mean, they have food, you know, food organic companies. Cliff Bar is, is a pretty popular brand name. That's a one percent plant number member. If you look on the back of every Cliff Bar you eat, there's a little logo. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. So it's pretty broad, but but a how lot of- how many insurance. companies? Over 2,000, I believe. Man. Yeah. So so yeah, so they uh, we I can't take credit for. Th- for inventing that model but but really looking at what that model's done for environmental uh sustainability type nonprofits and what it's done for businesses like Patagonia who who really have a strong reputation for corporate responsibility we How many businesses do I mean or how many organizations do they back do you know They have uh I, th- I want to say 3500 different nonprofit environmental oh, groups really? that they say oh. are within their network I mean it's it's broad it's, it's super broad. broad Yeah but, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of what our model is built off of. We looked at the opportunity to kind of leverage that in hunting and fishing conservation. And it made a lot of sense the more we learned about how 1% of the planet is structured and, and what they do. Um, and that's kind of what started us down the path with 2% of conservation. So what do you got to do now? Like it's pretty brand spigotty new. Yeah, we got, a, we got everything to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, to this point, so we've been working on, on getting this going for about the last two years Really doing all the back-end stuff, getting the IRS determination for 501c3 status, uh, getting some startup funding money, working with some, uh, some conservation groups and some businesses to really get feedback and, and evolve the model, make sure we're going on the right path. And,
0: so, and well, When you say
4: startup money, what do you mean?
0: Like You needed money just to get like, the legal stuff taken care of. Got to get
4: the legal stuff taken care of. Got to build a website. Got to create a brand. Got gotcha. to go out and, and market the brand and build value. So, so, so who pays for that? Do, do the, did, did the groups
0: that you're going to eventually support pay for it as an investment for the backing they might get down the
4: road? Or did you have people who yeah. would participate in the program help? Well, you so, that, so so a little bit of both. But yeah, my, our, my first approach was to go to some conservation groups that I'm fortunate to have a relationship with. Uh, the first one I went to was the Wild Sheep Foundation. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it was exactly that conversation. That, hey, what do you think of this model? It's pretty open, casual conversation. This is an idea we have when we think that if it's successful it could it could help raise more money for groups like yourself uh and, and but i need some money to but, get it going. but to get it going we need, yeah, we need yeah. some money so they had uh they took a leap of faith they believed in the model and they said yeah i think that this this can impact us long term uh can impact conservation as a whole long term which is which is just as important so they were willing to invest some money to in, in the form of a grant to get it off the ground. Did that come with stipulation
0: that you're going to have to pay them back? No, nope. no strings so they, attached. They took, they took faith.
4: Yeah, no strings attached.
0: How many, uh, are you guys, is it launched? Like, could I expect to go somewhere yeah. and go and be like, oh, 2% for conservation?
4: So we, uh, yeah, you can. So we turned the website on, for lack of a, of a better term, about 10 days ago. Oh, is that right? Yeah, oh, no kidding. Uh, so cool. the website's live. It's it's fishandwildlife.org or two percent Get you there too. So we have a website. You
0: got to put in the little percentage. No, you,
4: you can't buy domain names. The symbol, so it's two percent all written out. But T W O. Yeah, TWO, Yeah, but fishandwildlife.org dot org is how we're Did you run into that
1: it. problem with hunt to eat? No, we ran into the problem that someone else had already taken <clears throat> the numeral. Who going. was that? Just some jackass same way some jackass owns meat eater.com did you try to buy it <laughs> <laughs> the guy
0: that owns eater.com now and then puts up a picture of some dinner he ate in a restaurant
1: and <laughs> 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 you reach out to him <laughs> I don't know, we tried you know.
0: what did he sell it to you or <laughs> was he can't open it or can't get old yeah no.
1: we haven't tried yet we don't have those kind of pockets yet have you even approached the guy
0: Mm-mm. is he a hunter
1: no, no yeah we did no yeah we just sent just an email just saying hey We'd love to have that domain name. I don't think we ever got back. <laughs> we'll trade you. Really? Not. Never even got no. back to you. No. And well, it's funny? It's not a hunting thing. It's it's the same thing. He's like, I hu- suppose. Oh yeah, looking for restaurants. Yeah, look, he's hunting for restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, be like, hey, listen, there's no I'll go, content. Be like, I'll go buy
0: going out to eat, or I'll buy um, <laughs> and trade trying him. to find a good restaurant.com Dot Trade him. and then you <laughs> give me the one you have because you obviously have the wrong one. Yeah. Because that's going out to dinner. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, out to dinner it would be a better one for him. There's so many stories, and this is the right uh, group of guys to know them all. But there's so many stories about like people, right? When domain names, you know, <laughs> uh, the domain name buying game dude, is dude. Yeah, like people who are like that's yeah. Sick. You know, he might want to be in a big name in politics someday. I'm gonna go buy his name. <laughs> <you know>? <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's
0: so cute. Yeah, it's an. I, interest, know, you should interesting always, I should almost like go get my kids' names now in case everyone have like a you know if he becomes like a tree trimmer and wants to have
4: like his name. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so speaking of that, we, with, we were pretty fortunate to uh, I I play the domain game. No a one bit. owned two percent for. Well, no, we got fishandwildlife.org. dot org. Nobody had that. Nobody had that, and I think somebody lapsed on it. And I was on GoDaddy late at night one time when trying to huh, find. No domains. one had fishandwildlife.org? No, I, and I was. Putting in a whole bunch of random domain names in GoDaddy. And it's like, I don't even know how I came to fishandwildlife.org, but put it in. And it was like available, 100 bucks. And I was like, damn, that's kind of expensive. <laughs> 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 and moved on to like search other domains. And the next mo- morning, I woke up and like texted one of my buddies that's helped me with this. And I was like, fishandwildlife.org is available. He's like, you bought it, right? And I was like, no. He's like, dude, you're a moron buying domain. Yeah, man. So, uh, so we bought that domain name, and that's what we're using to promote the platform of Two Percent for Conservation. I figured if it doesn't work out, maybe we could sell the domain name. Yeah. <laughs> so. And yeah, somebody needs it. <laughs> yeah, now the
0: people know. All right, so you launched ten days ago. Yeah. Who are your benefactors? <laughs> so is that uh, the right word to mean who uh, would you? Okay.
4: You aggregate the two percent. No no. So You don't aggregate the two percent. Yeah, so so I I don't I'm I don't I wouldn't say benefactor is the word I would use, but I think that's appropriate. So we aren't taking the the money from companies that they're giving back to conservation. Essentially, what our, what our organization does is certify that a company does meet certain criteria. Oh, I got you. So, uh, so that is a common misconception I've had with businesses, and but this is really with the like, genius of the an model. Idea. You sent me. <laughs> yeah. send me, send me one percent of sales. Uh, <laughs> but, but to your point, so this was an interesting learning that I had from one percent for the planet. Right? That's what I thought when I started studying the model too. I was like, huh. So how the hell are you going to distribute those funds? How are you going to convince companies to write you a check for 1% of sales? And, and, uh, and, and I learned that, no, that's not how it works. I mean, the companies, and this is a huge benefit of the model, are empowered to work with the conservation groups they want to. What, what are you passionate about as a company? Who do you want to support? Or do you want to support the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance, backcountry hunters and anglers? We don't, we don't care as long as they are pro-hunting and fishing conservation groups. We just certify, okay, did you contribute 1% of sales to that? And then 1% of your time. So, so I guess we should clarify that first. It's 2% for conservation is 1% of sales plus 1% of time equals 2% for conservation.
0: But let's say they turn around, they're like, oh yeah, we gave it all to the Humane Society or HSUS, right? Would you then say, well, that don't count?
4: Yeah, of course. Yeah, yep. I got so, it. That, so that's part of what we do from the certification is just, we look at the criteria of, okay, who'd you, who'd you contribute funds to? Who are those organizations? Make sure we have we have four kind of uh, bullet points, for lack of a better term, that kind of define conservation groups in our mind. Those are uh, the obvious one, wildlife and habitat improvement, right? That's, yep. that's kind of the most common one. Access and opportunity is one of them, which is hugely important. And wildlife um, and habitat would be research and everything. That's Wild- research, and everything, yeah. yep. Um, what are there two? Education and outreach. So this is teaching kids about conservation, about hunting and fishing, about how it works. And then, uh, what the hell is the fourth one? Did I say access and opportunity area? You already said that. I'm going to have to pull up the website to figure out what the fourth one is. <laughs> huh. Wildlife habitat, access opportunity, education, outreach. Come
3: on, man. Shit.
0: Good thing the website Which What you know. think about
4: all that, Chris? <laughs> I'm into it,
0: man.
3: Like in what way? Well, I'd like the, like for the 1% for the uh, planet, model that you're talking about right like i will as a consumer and like a lot of people i know will consciously go out and buy products from brands that follow that model
0: makes it feel a little bit better
3: yeah it makes you feel good about it so like if you're into hunting and fishing and you don't really have like an outlet to donate your money like you're not gonna you know or if you're just some dude that works at a ski shop or something or a fly shop you're not gonna like write a check to Yeah. X conservation group for whatever, but if you go and buy a new jacket from whatever company and you're like, Oh, part of that went to, you know, funding conservation programs. You feel good about it. Chris, is it safe to say like you weren't like a big full balls hunting guy? No, man. No. Yeah, it's safe to say that. I didn't I never was was opposed to it. Yeah. No, no, no. He liked to angle. Yeah, I was an angler. Still am. What's your,
0: what was your angling background? I'm going toward a question I have for you, but what's your angling background?
3: Well, same as mine. You grew up in Michigan. Yeah. A lot of, like, you know, whatever's hitting. A lot of pike. <laughs> <Bang. laughs>
1: whatever's hitting. That's whatever's the hitting. Kind of fisherman I like. You know?
3: Like. <laughs> <laughs> you guys would go chase the wily steelhead. We chased the steelhead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, Sands fly rod, though. I learned that too. Yeah. It was always drifting spawn or waxworms.
0: yeah but dude we fly
3: fish for steel but we didn't really we use fly gear yeah
0: that's we used fly gear or just run running line we with this a brand like amnesia mm-hmm. and run split shot an in yep. 18 inch leader yeah and, and yes a will fly on it but a lot of the spinning tackle guys were running yarn balls same
3: thing yeah you know
0: you're hooking fish out from under your boots all the time yeah because you're just staying on the edge of those deep ass holes and runs and just running it through there to act like you're fly fishing, but yeah. it's like could have put a spinning reel on it
3: and some guys get like high and mighty about it oh yeah and they're like oh no i'm a fly guy i'm like dude we're essentially fishing the same gear i just yeah. have a shimano reel and you have a sims like
0: dude today yeah. i saw a sticking out of, here in bozeman i saw a sticking out of the back of a truck a rod tip and a bobber yeah and i'm like oh, that's funny <laughs> guys what the hell's he bobber fishing for right now bluegills Because like there's no bluegills on the beds around here or anything there is it's a fly rod with the strike indicator. Just, yeah, but uh, yeah, strike yeah. indicator. Buddy, that's a bobber. That's called a bobber. <laughs> They've been selling those for a long time. <laughs> it's it's a bobber. We had this conversation before. It was like, it's a strike indicator. <laughs> you know, and I said before, I'm like, yeah, well, okay, so my kid uses one of those to indicate strikes.
1: What we call it is a bobber. Yeah, that's what I call it, man. You know what used to really mess with my clients' heads when those, first, when those uh, what are they called? Uh, thingamabobbers, right? You guys fly fishermen?
0: The guy came out, look, uh, there's a guy that makes a product called a yeah
1: which is a bobber. We, we, yeah, it's a strike indicator. That looks it's like a bobber. bobber. It doesn't. It's like a plastic it's ball. Half it's half red, of... half white. What do you mean well, it no, doesn't no. look like it a <laughs> bobber? It doesn't have that. Is it a plastic sphere? No, it's not plastic. It's oh. like a soft. Um, plastic. It is, so, it is soft plastic. It has air in it, but it's completely sealed. And it doesn't have the little, uh, what do you call a it? Little spring,
0: spring and a spring you, hook. Yeah,
1: you, you know. You got to basically double up your leader, stick it through the hole, flip, it, flip the leader over it, pull it tight, you know?
0: That sounds like a breaking point to me.
1: No, because you're doing it way up the leader where you, you know, you're at a like 30-pound oh, test or something. Yeah, 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 But people got used, and they come in all kinds of colors, but they're all like one solid color. And you, you can slide it up and down yeah, at, at yeah, whim. Yeah, you just move that loop out, move it up wherever you want, put the loop back over. Yeah. People got used to fishing those, and because they were just one solid color, they kind of looked different. You know, they're like, it's my strike indicator. So they came out with white ones. I took the white ones and some red marker. No. <laughs> made it look like a real. Made it look like no. a real bobber. And freaking, it would mess with those fly fish in the They'd be like, really? You don't have like a pink one or a green one? <laughs> like, I did, they like, 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 yeah, they didn't want to admit. They're bobber like, That's exactly what it is. And I, by the way, we had a San Juan worm hanging underneath it, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah. call an ace an ace. Yep, yeah,
0: you were you great. were matching you were matching something those fish have never laid eyes on, which is a red worm.
1: Oh, it just gave me a smile every time I'd look over off the oars and be like,
4: yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I have done it. I've spent many hours fishing that way, and I, you, yeah, you don't like, you know what we would call it? I, I struck a happy. A lot of guys call it. I was like, I can't call it a strike indicator because that's just, you know, that's like mental masturbation. But it still isn't like a bobber either. We would call it a float. Yeah. Because mm. we use them for steel a lot, a float with a stick, which is just like ice fishing, you'd call that a bobber. Same yeah. rig up.
1: What do they call the, the bobber that you put the uh, water into to fish off a spinning reel so you can actually throw a weightless fly? You know what I'm talking about?
0: Yeah, but I don't know. I, I know them and I've owned them, but I don't know what they call them. I have
1: no idea. I've never used those.
0: Anyhow, what I was driving at, you, you first came out and worked with us when? September. September last year, yeah. Yeah. 2015. Do you feel like you've gotten like a kind of a crash course in a bunch of
3: hunting related business? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I feel like I learned a lot. Yeah. What's the business think about all that? She's into it, man. She's supportive of it. She like kind of hates my job because of the travel. Yo, I can imagine. But she's in it. Say, yeah. You don't say. You don't say being gone all
0: the time causes marital stress? <laughs> Who ever heard
3: of such a thing? <laughs> yeah, she, she likes it. She likes it because I don't have to like Go to super dangerous places now. You know she just got back from the Congo. Yeah, but that's not like that. Sketch.
0: No, that is like <laughs> <laughs> like that is like you. You worked in
3: Afghanistan. Yeah, you worked in the Congo. Yeah, you work in Iraq. Yeah. What's a dangerous place? I would say more. I would say Afghanistan and Iraq. <laughs> yeah. Well, it if you're or not. Detroit. Yeah. Well, Detroit. Yeah, definitely. So can. she likes this better than
1: Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh-huh. grizzly bears to her are safer than
0: yeah we had bear spray that's good because most people don't most people think that bears most people think bears are dangerous
3: yeah which
1: is I mean, silly. they are but it's silly yeah they're not gonna like silly. come at you silly. with a
0: knife and- there's so much this is the thing i wanted. to uh, let's come back to the bear thing things i want to talk yeah. about the bear thing yeah pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service it's called the wellness company Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks. Or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, it's not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater. Okay. At twc.health slash meat eater. Spring is a great time to do something with your family. Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. i said it before I, a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids... We got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just 292 bucks per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah, I apply for everything everywhere. It's daunting. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. OnX just launched Hunt Research Tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members a free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge, and a membership to Hunt reminder. So you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out on X Hunt Research Tools. Free for all on X Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MeatEater to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com/slash hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of of hunting, scouting, trapping—you name it. All right, so two um, percent for conservation. They pick the group; you certify the group. Now, what's the thing you need most right now? Do you need businesses to go two percent?
4: So, or do you need customers to prioritize buying at two percent? So, we need both. I, I think that our our strategy is we need. We need customers to value what we're doing, because that's going to make it. That's going to make businesses understand and realize the importance of becoming a member. Yeah. But um, but there are a lot of businesses that already meet the criteria that are already volunteering time, that are already giving back one percent of sales. Yep. So so our strategy is to go find those businesses uh, and, and talk to them about what we're trying to do, uh, and see if they believe in the model of hey hey if you had this conversation internally about marketing. What we do for conservation, right? And uh, what would be their argument against it? Well, there's no argument necessarily against it, but you're you're a business trying to sell products. That's your first. That's where your focus yeah, yeah, marketing but yeah, is. But
0: no, in your case, you're saying they're already because there's a lot of companies, particularly smaller companies I know about,
4: that are already doing that. That's right. So, so, so uh, what
0: would be their? what would be a reason they would have to not be like, yes, unless they just want, they didn't want to be part of something that could. Hopefully they don't have very many reasons not to say yes. Yeah. Uh, uh,
4: unless they're well, just paranoid. Our model is right? unproven. So there's some risk in like tying your brand with, with yeah, our that, that, brand. Yeah. That's not, I mean, you don't know what I'm going to go do. Something stupid on with how we market our brand or something. So yeah, there's there's you some risk have, there. But
0: you don't have any chance to really do anything bad because they're not sending you like, I, like I thought earlier, they're not sending you the money. Then it turns sure. out that you embezzled it. Sure.
4: Yeah. So it's low risk to answer your question for companies are already doing it. This is just another way for them. It's a, it's a multiplier effect on their investment, right? So you're working with BHA or so company working with BHA. They're not only are they giving you exposure for your sponsorship and your dollars, right? This is another way for those same dollars. Don't have to invest anymore to get more, uh, more recognition for it. Right. Yep. So so hopefully, so that's kind of our goal out of the gate is to start talking to these conservation-minded companies out of the gate. But the real goal and, and the real long-term win is if we could prove that value, right? Is I want companies who aren't currently working with conservation groups, who aren't investing 1% to see that value and then and come asking like, shoot, man, I, I want to do that too. How do I get involved? And we could say, well, what do you care about? Go, I mean, public land access. Yeah, go talk to the guys at BHA and see what you can do. And that's when incremental dollars will come to conservation and that's really when the model is is effective at doing what it what we hope that it can do so when you go and pitch this to a company do you go and talk to the marketing guy at the company talk to whoever i can talk to first but but yeah the marketing guy is usually the guy the guy that would do it because it's it's like a marketing thing there's something in it for you yeah it's a marketing investment the way most companies look
0: yeah yanni's t-shirt company recently sold a bunch of t-shirts and gave the money all away There you go. Which someone might look and be like, "Dude, that's a stupid way to run a T-shirt business. Probably not (laughs) 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 profitable." So you might think like, "Man, you got it all wrong." (laughs) What they really do in business is they keep all that money. But you were thinking marketing, sure. As much as
4: you were thinking trying to do like you know win win. Like I
1: said, yeah, half and half.
4: Yeah, so I think I think this model hopefully for something like that, right? Like there's a there's a marketing investment. For what how how conservation groups have evolved, right? As they offer sponsorships to companies as a fundraising mechanism for them, and that that really is a marketing investment for businesses. What do you mean? I don't understand what that means. So I don't know. You can go become the corporate sponsor of BHA or RMF, oh, or yeah, you can work yeah. or whatever. You can buy advertising in their magazine. You can, as a business, you're not just writing a check to these conservation groups without expecting anything in return, right? Yeah. How how that model has evolved, how they raise money is as they offer you something in return for your contribution, right? So. So it's a marketing investment, right? And this is just another way to leverage that investment. So
0: that, that was an interesting point where you're saying, if so, let, let's say you, you have a conservation organization that does a publication. what well, keeps that publication alive and drives membership for that conservation organization and allows them to- Advertise. Yeah, it's like the people advertise in that magazine. Yep. So a company that is buying ads- Yep. in a place,
4: in support of a conservation organization, yep. that's a conservation spend on their part. Hell yeah, it is. That 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 conservation group depends on those funds to execute their mission work.
0: It's a yeah. fundraising mission. And that's form. a recruitment tool yep. and a, and a way to disseminate information. Totally,
4: yeah. I mean, going to uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation is is a good example, right? Buying a booth at their show and exhibiting at their show. They, they'd have that show to raise money and awareness for their brand. That's important for them executing their mission work and raising funds. So, so going to work with them is that's a contribution to conservation. That's important.
0: So would you picture uh would you picture that a fella is going to go like a fella is going to go make a purchase. They would go check on your they would go check on on fishandwildlife.org and be like, "Oh, you know, if I'm going to do this, maybe I'll do it at a at a group that's pledged 2%.
4: Sure, I I hope that that they can do that, and check the website, but you know, the way the The model gives companies flexibility to leverage it how they want, right? So I would hope that a guy's going to buy ammo, right, at Sportsman's Warehouse. And he's going looking at the giant wall of freaking boxes of ammo. And he's sitting there looking at the 270. And there's a box of Federal with a little 2% for conservation logo on it. And then there's a box of whatever, Remington, that doesn't have the logo on it. Hopefully, if we're doing our job right, getting our brand out there and recognition, right, with the consumer he'll see that and know that more, you know, a percentage of that purchase is going to go back to conservation and he'll buy that federal ammo rather than whatever else. And that it, That's kind of the, the end goal in that consumer no, mindset. No, I'm with you.
0: Yeah. Uh, two
4: more questions. Maybe more.
0: What um, What's in it for you? Like, why are you doing this? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I kind of thought that. <laughs> <laughs> Once I heard that you weren't getting the checks, so I was like, <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: No, uh, you know, so, so my background, I, I work in the hunting industry for, for, uh, for SICA, um, who, who sells clothing, hunting clothing and I do sales and marketing. I've done, I've been with them for a long time and, and we've always internally talked about this, this opportunity to talk about what we do for conservation and struggle with how we do it. And then, so part of my job at SICA is I work with all the conservation groups that, that we have partnerships with and I've gotten to. Develop lots of relationships there and learn about how they function and the challenges they have and gotcha and the challenges they have from fundraising and and kinda of those two perspectives, this just kinda of hit me one time and it's like shit man that we we could do something here to make this easier for both parties. Right. And um so I just started working on nights and weekends and it's kinda it's kinda come to this. So so you're really ma- yeah, married. In it. I'm married. I got two kids. How yeah. old are the kids? Six and three. Well be three, three in two weeks. Huh. So. Um and then two percent. It's not two percent of profits. No, it's it's actually it's one percent of sales. One percent of sales. Yeah, and it's one percent of time, which is uh, which we've based off of uh, roughly two thousand eighty work hours in the year. Right, so twenty one hours, and that's not per individual at the company. That's just company wide. We want you to commit to you know twenty one hours going back to volunteer work, mm-hmm. and that could be selling raffle tickets at a banquet, sitting on a board doing a river cleanup project, we just want you to do more than write a check, right? It's, I shouldn't say it's easy to write checks, right? Because that's not easy, but anybody company can essentially write a check, but can you can you show commitment beyond writing a check and go out and, and foster that, that volunteerism with Time with is more groups.
1: expensive than money.
4: Yeah, you know, and, and, and that was a learning that I had when, when pitching this model and getting feedback to conservation groups. are like, yeah, money is really important, but to a lot of them, arguably, time is more important than the money. Like, we need volunteers. Volunteer time. Yeah, we need volunteers to help us execute the, the actual conservation work that we're trying to do. So, right. so, yeah, so that's how you get to It's 1% of sales plus 1% of time, and that's that's where our naming convention comes to, 2% for conservation.
0: So, if like, a, if, a, if, if a, a listener, like, what's your call to action, man, if you had to give a call to action? Like, what do you need most right now to happen?
4: Uh, I, we need... We need People to uh, to communicate to the businesses, the brands that they love, the products they want to buy—that this is valuable to them. So I, I want a guy that that loves that's a diehard Matthews guy, loves to shoot Matthews bows. That's all he wants to say. Hey, man, why aren't you guys giving back one percent to conservation? Why aren't you volunteering your time? You should be a member of this. Yep.
0: And if some dude is out there, you know, stitching up uh, backpacks out of his out of his garage and, and selling them, like he could.
4: Heck yeah, man. Yeah. So, so there's a cool thing too, where I think there's lots of opportunity for, for non-endemic companies. Like it's not just hunting and fishing companies, right? That's obviously where there's the most direct correlation, but, but a guy that owns a construction company that's just a passionate hunter, right? Yeah. Shit, that construction company could be a member too. He should, they should be contributing to conservation or, or whatever it is. So, so there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of opportunity when you start looking at the world of businesses outside of just hunting and fishing companies too, which, yep. which is exciting.
0: There you have it, fishandwildlife.org. Or, go. if you know how to spell that
4: good. Yeah. <laughs> 2% percent for conservation. But yeah, fishandwildlife.org. Is, that's, that's your favorite There you one. go. That, that's easier easy to remember. Easy to remember. That's, sure. that's my domain name win for the year.
0: <laughs> Pete, was it you? Uh, yeah. Did you uh, raise your hand? No. Okay, <laughs> well, let's do this, though. Let's do this. 2% for conservation. Do you have concluding thoughts about 2% for conservation?
1: I mean, I have a, something I could say about it. I think. Well, it, don't I mean, I think like it's, don't don't waste our time I'm by gonna, just like making up things to say about it. But I'm just glad to hear that. Yeah, you guys are just like really trying to get out, you know, get out of just the hunting and fishing industry because I think that'll help just raise awareness of what the hunting and fishing industry does already, and just get more people in on the conservation boat. You
0: know, yeah. you could um, make it. You could already be because you could take and look at all the money you gave away, all the T-shirts you gave away. Yep. You're like ten percent. like, yeah, he's eleven percent. The volunteer time. No, you know what? You've done. The money
4: was You, got the, you got the volunteer time, man. The, the, you gotcha. know the volunteer time. It's going to be interesting when we go talk to businesses that. You know that might be hard. That might be the hardest thing. For that, sure. that we find out that, that we do, which which is good. I, I think it. We don't want it to be easy to be a member of this, right? It's not. Yeah, open no, for you want people. It, yeah, you don't want people. It, to be, it Makes yeah, it more valuable it for a member of businesses, right? Because it's a commitment. It's hard to do. You'd be like, well, if I drank all night at a Ducks
0: Unlimited thing, does that count as volunteer <laughs> time?
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got any concluding thoughts about that, Chris? You already kind of told us about what you thought about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna do, do it. Um. Chris's real name is Ridge Pounder.
3: It's on my birth certificate
0: because this man, um, is you know, I talk about Duncan Gilchrist being an accidental, uh, good rider. Mm-hmm. Chris is an accidental good hiker,
4: <laughs>
3: unbelievable, <laughs> lucky dude. Attitude and stamina, I think it's just attitude, man. I think it's not even so. You're st- hurting deep down, no, I like <laughs> not in pain, but like I. I get winded, you know. I'm not like just you're always just right we've there. He's always just right there. Talk about
1: that so much is that that attitude can almost in the end trump the stamina because you can take two guys and look at them and look at their stats in the gym and be like, that dude's gonna crush that dude. But that the, the guy that's like looks like he's the gym rat might not have the good attitude and those long days on ridges and on trails, attitude really just it takes you home. Yeah, those long smiles <sniffs> makes for a short miles. Yep, mm-hmm. and yeah.
0: Big smile on Rich Pounder's face all the time, like you're having fun, dude.
1: I
3: am having fun. You
1: kidding me? <laughs> Even when I'm like, dude, did you run ahead lately and get that coming on shot? I haven't seen you up ahead of us lately. And it's then I'll like, go yeah. run ahead, <laughs> or I'm already I'm there.
0: Like um, he's ready. You mean he's ready to run up and do it?
1: Yeah, totally. So what I've been
0: telling him, and this is the second time I brought the stuff today because we just worked today. Um, you're not that old, twenty-seven. Yeah, i You here's what I'm afraid that you're doing I'm afraid that you just think that you're just gonna go on through life slicking up and down hills like a greased hog without (laughs) putting any investment in and I think you might be at the apex of
3: when I can do it of if you go on just thinking that that's how you are dude I you know I've been having that attitude I think for most of my life of like oh yeah no it's fine but I think you're right just gotta hit it but what do I do I live in, uh, I live in Flatland, man. I think he's got 10 more good years.
0: Really? Yeah, I don't know. He might, but that's not that long once you're there. No. Mm-mm. When you Listen, when you've been alive 10 more years, I'm gonna try. Yeah, when you've been alive 10 more years, you'll still be younger than me, which is insane.
1: <laughs> I don't know what the hell point I was trying to make. I was trying to make the opposite point. he will be my age. And that's what I'm saying. Because I really, everybody keeps telling, you know, has been telling me for 10 years, oh, metabolism's going to slow down. You're going to get a beer gut, yada, yada, yada. Well, now, just in the last year, I really am like, man, it's I have to watch what I eat. You're not getting a beer gut. No, but. Plus, drinking quit drinking beer. Beer.
2: He yeah. quit drinking beer. You haven't <laughs> drank a beer in like five months.
1: I- yes. <laughs> He's on a <the> Lavian cleanse. <laughs> but I-, I still think that like, I just know my body feels different finally. Like I'm kind of accepting this. Yeah. Like,
0: I feel it. Dude, I live in absolute fear because, <laughs> because I know now. The other day, for instance, I woke up and my neck hurt from sleeping funny. Okay. Normally by eight in the morning, it would not be that way. My neck hurt for five days. Ooh, Oh, that's, that's a, a bad crank. Yeah. Well, that's that's it's just happening. I'm starting to live in fear need a new pillow yeah <laughs> well i was at my brother's house and he's got a he's got a food and food, <laughs> food. <laughs> and that it and like, well no because we were at the house and so my wife and i had were like a bed but you know the kids we brought all the kids to my brother's place to fish and they were confused about what the hell's going on and like we're like okay you guys all go in that room and sleep and we're in this little not a little bed but like a Bed, you know and then pretty soon they're in ours and i was just like okay never mind i'll go back and find another place to sleep and that's where i hurt my neck but it took forever to get better and it's just because i'm getting old my wife keeps telling me i'm getting old she's like you've really aged a lot lately Ooh. oh it's geez. brutal well no it's not because it's like I, I like
1: to know what's going on Mm-mm. i don't want people to tell me a bunch of lies yes you know speaking of that we should bring up our friend who we hung out with last week did we mention that on podcast we did in wyoming about his bluntness and about how oh, I was mentioning that to someone, dude. Today. I told ten people about that. Yeah, it was like weird. It was a little uncomfortable at first, but once you got used to the way that this dude operated, you appreciated it. You appreciate it because you're like, there, there's no gray area. Everybody knows exactly what's going on, and that's kind of how you like it. So he's yeah, he's very uh
0: very successful businessman, um, accomplished in that field and has been in management roles for a long time. And we, uh, at one point, found a couple moose sheds. Okay, rather than have any awkwardness about who owns these moose sheds, those will be staying on the property. (laughs) And at first, like, whoa! They're like, hey, you know what? Better that, right? Than him being like, man, those guys found them and they took them home, and now I'm mad and wish I had them. Just keeping it real. We got done eating dinner. He's like, let's clean up, right? It's like, please. Everyone should just be like that. Just yeah. tell
4: me what it is you want. I wish There's my me. wife would be like that more often. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I say that,
1: but I
4: say that, but I don't really have but that. But she problem. obviously is being I that just, way. No, she I just, just told you, you're aging lately.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, Rock. Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance or Mountain Goat Alliance? How, how's it go? It's the Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. Rocky Mountain Goat Alliance. Now, how, like, what was the yeah, genesis?
2: It was early 2013. I went to my first Wild Sheep Foundation convention. and For that, what reason? I uh, was the, working at Schnee's at the time, and we had a booth. So I, went, I was on my first trade show circuit. I was like, 22 years old or something even younger than Ridge Pounder <laughs> I'm 26 now yeah
0: oh still, young still
4: younger than Ridge Pounder so Ridge race are you, young, are you yeah. younger than Ridge Pounder now I'm 31 oh okay I'm getting old too I saw the
2: uh, Montana Governor's Tag sell for 280,000 the Bighorn Sheep Permit sell for two hundred four hundred and eighty thousand dollars yeah 000 say, 000. That Qu- that quarter a- wow I'm really butchering this half a million dollar sheep was sold that year of those funds went to Montana Bighorn Sheep Conservation and Management. And I have a relationship with a regional biologist here, Julie Cunningham, a very good friend of mine. And I came home from that convention and literally Monday morning I was knocking on her door. And I had killed a mountain goat in 2011 and I'm obsessed with mountain goats and asked her how I could help out with mountain goat projects if there was any volunteer opportunities or if anybody had orchestrated a conservation group specifically for this animal. And the answer was no. But her quick follow-up was, I've been waiting my entire career for somebody to walk in here and say that. Oh, is that right? So she and I sat down and over a cup of coffee, um, the Goat Alliance was kind of born that morning. So we came up with the idea we're going to start a uh, grassroots conservation group to assist with mountain goat conservation and mountain goat management and uh that's all fine and dandy but then the biggest question was like okay what are we gonna what are we gonna do yeah what are the like what
0: problems does mountain goat have so because they're like they're generally above development sure they're higher than development but they have very low fecundity they don't have like a high reproductive rate correct so what's their
2: problem Nanny harvest is probably the most detrimental thing to a mountain goat population. Is that right? And what's unfortunate is across North America, the average mountain goat tag is an either sex permit.
0: Yeah, and that's for. Can I, can I break in for me oh just, yeah. just to clarify a couple points here? So, what he's talking about there is is you know when you get a a, a permit, an either sex permit, um you'll find the animals that are very hard to sex or that are hard to sex. They don't, they generally do either sex permit. So for instance, bears, it takes a trained eye to sex a bear. You. I don't know if I've ever seen in my life a bear tag good for a gender specific bear. It's asking a lot. Wild pigs, a trained eye. You never see like it's good for a male or female. Um, Things that are easy to distinguish. Sheep got a big damn set of antlers on its head or not stuff like that you see it mountain goats it takes a trained eye an educated eye so rather than putting that on people where you're basically sending 50 percent of your people out to to probably end up breaking a law they do it just because it's so hard to enforce i'm guessing and it's puts a certain level of um responsibility on their shoulders i'll point out and i'm sure you're aware of this I drew a goat tag on the Kenai Peninsula and they say it's either sex. If you kill a nanny, you can't even apply for this tag for seven years or something like that. So they penalize
2: you that way. And that's not even the end of the repercussions of that harvest. The Alaska model, if you harvest a nanny, the quota for the following year is directly resulted. They lower their tags. If you go in there and kill a nanny, you're taking a tag out of someone else's pocket the next year. Ooh.
0: All right, so so go on about that nanny harvest being a big issue. Yep, like so we could have a hell of a lot more goats.
2: Sure, yeah. If, if people would draw a tag, and then you get when you draw a tag, you got months before you're going to hunt. Sure. So mountain goats are extremely robust. You know, they don't they don't deal, luckily, with the extremely detrimental issues that bighorn sheep deal with, as far as pneumonia outbreaks or anything of that like. They're, they're a lot more durable of a mammal than a wild sheep, in my opinion. Um, so they're, they're survivors. They do very, very well when introduced to areas. And there's not a lot of literature explaining that, but mountain goat introductions, um, if done with the, a large amount of mountain goats, are extremely successful. Other animals introduced are a lot more finicky. So mountain goats are total survivors. Um, they they flourish in a handful of different environments. And What's an old mountain goat? 12, 13. Okay. Yeah. A lot like a sheep. Like a 14-year-old ram would be dead. D- a dead sheep yeah. walking, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 he doesn't have any teeth left. It's just like a billy. Um, but the nanny harvest is extremely... Dangerous because they do reproduce so slow. The average mountain goat doesn't reproduce until it's three, maybe four years old. Kid recruitment rate in the first year is sub 50%. And most of the populations in the lower 48 are pretty small. So if you have a couple of years of heavy female harvest, there are significant repercussions from those harvests. And you can't incriminate these people. uh, You know, you can't blame the 14 year old kid that draws a mountain goat tag and it's an either sex tag and he doesn't know anything about mountain goats and he goes out goat hunting and he sees one and he shoots one and it happens to be a six-year-old female well that's a really valuable animal to that population yeah she's important
1: they give off one offspring
2: correct they have one one. yeah twins twins do occur uh it's pretty rare It's, it's very rare for the twins to both survive but nothing near what we think of like a whitetail pumping out twins every year.
1: Right.
2: Pretty much what a whitetail will have fawns its second year. Right. So it's very different and you can't expect the average sportsman to understand that when you hand them a mountain goat tag. So a lot of the stuff that we're focusing on moving forward is public education and raising the public awareness and Raising the responsibility of the mountain goat hunter. And, uh, do you talk about, are you
0: talking about raising it in a legal sense or raising it in like a hey, buddy, you should know this? Or do you guys think it would be a good idea to maybe mandate a little more education, a little more responsibility? Like, yeah. what's, what's your take on that? Because I little, can see that you get sideways with some people sure. who want to just be like that they're going and they're going and they don't want to have to do anything.
2: Sure. Uh, It's a little bit of all of that. Um, I think the more you raise the public education, the more you raise the, uh, you know, it's embarrassing for a guy if he goes out, you know, and I'm, I got this once in a lifetime mountain goat tag. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to accidentally shoot a nanny for a bunch of different reasons. So it's a little bit of that. And it's, uh, it's definitely part of, I, I think that the, judging the gender of them and being educated on it is up to the guy with the tag in his pocket. Yeah. And the educational materials available to that guy at this time are poor. Duncan Gilcrest produced some phenomenal mountain goat educational materials that happened in the 1980s. Nobody's done it since then. Yeah. So we orchestrate on the ground, boots on the ground, volunteer projects throughout North America to assist regionally with mountain goat surveys and population analysis on a larger scale. I mean you guys are out pounding the mountains. Oh yeah. Checking stuff out. Yep. Do you ever find out stuff that no one knew? I found a mountain goat. I found a nanny in South Dakota last year and she looked like she had this horrible infection on her face. And it, she just had scabs all over her face. And it was gross. I mean, as gross as you think it is, that's what she looked like. And it uh, turned out it was this contagious eczema of Capri species that South Dakota didn't know they were dealing with. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So that's probably the closest thing we've ever found, <laughs> come to finding out that nobody knew about before. But... So you never found one that jumped mountain ranges in a weird way? And no oh, no, that, that happens yeah. quite a bit. Um. just n- we're sitting in Bozeman right now just north of town is the Bridger Mountain Range mm-hmm. very well known mountain goat population those goats came from the Tobacco Root Mountains just west of here in the 1990s did they really on their own? nope they under- were introduced oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. so they brought a trailer full of goats up to Ferry Lake it's the trailhead for the Sacagawea hike the highest peak in the Bridger Range they turned loose I don't know 15 mountain goats one of them was like an 11 year- old Billy. he hiked up to the saddle, down the west faced, and 40 miles across the Gallatin Valley, walked back to the tobacco roots. No kid, yeah. There's pictures of that goat jumping fence in Belgrade, Montana. His buddy's like, Man, where you been? He's like, Don't even get me started. Like, you, you don't even know about <laughs> the walk I just had. Wow. There's a goat right now. There's a there's a Billy right now that just showed up in Dinosaur National Monument on the west side of uh, Colorado. And this goat came out of Utah from a Wasatch population. And he walked east. It's got to be 30, 40 miles. And all on his own. He's, you know, some five-year-old Billy, showed up in Dinosaur National Monument, which is controlled by the feds. And according to the National Park Service and the feds, that's an exotic animal. Yeah. So they are trying to figure out how to deal with him right now, and the proposed solution is to kill him, which breaks my heart. It sounds like a pretty badass badass Billy that went for a walk and went... went But he came from an introduced population,
0: though. In Utah, he did. Yeah, yeah. I can see how that would put him in a sticky situation. Yeah,
1: I was going to say, because like in Colorado, all the goats there are considered- yeah, there's no natives Introduced, there. Correct. right? And that must be just in general, like a sticky subject for you guys, right? But Mo- Montana,
0: has na- Montana has native populations, but right. Northwest. We do. Bob Marshall, yeah. the Bitterroot stuff. Everything West. Yeah. Everything West of the
2: Bob. There's an argument that some of the mountain goats in Northern Utah are in fact- Native, or not that the current mountain goats are native, but their ancestors did in fact live there. Okay. That mountain goats did inhabit the northern Utah, uh, the Willard Peak population. Got There's, you. Matters ask, so.
0: And they were potentially like wiped out from human causes early on.
2: Yeah, hard to kind of put your finger on what, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of testing of animals. Yeah. Until <laughs> the last couple decades, but. What's an argument in
0: favor of um, what's an argument in favor of putting mountain goats in places where they
2: haven't been before? It's a, it's a natural resource. You're you're increasing your natural resources and if you're supporting sportsmen who fork over their dollars, if you're the if you're the state manager of mountain goats, I believe it's your responsibility to have a lot of mountain goats and to provide this opportunity to the citizens of your state. Yeah. It's a, it's a renewable natural resource. I asked this question about turkeys one time. Uh-oh. Because, you know, well, no,
0: because, I mean, 49 states have turkey seasons now. Sure. They said no, it's been yet to be demonstrated that there's a deleterious effect. No one's, pointed to a, uh, no one's pointed to a good negative. It's a lot like the pheasant. Pheasants are everywhere. People love pheasants. Yeah, they're from like, Asia. Straight out of China. It's like no one has yet said, Man. If it weren't for these pheasants, yep. So the argument just winds up being like a it just winds up being in many cases like a win win. Like you're not, you know, put them there. It's not that you can point to um, endemic species that have gone extinct because of mountain goat grazing, or the other species have been displaced
2: because of mountain goat activities. There's two main arguments against mountain goat introductions. The one is the destruction of alpine plant life. Mm-hmm. Take that for what it's worth. The other is conflict of sheep habitat. And people that like sheep don't like seeing goats near them.
0: Oh, so you're, there's a conflict. They, they find a conflict between goats and sheep?
2: Certainly. Yeah, but
0: they coexist
2: all over the place. Sure. Um, they do. But are they worried about disease transmission? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So there's a little bit of fear. There's a population of goats in Nevada, in the Ruby Mountains. Pneumonia has run rampant through them. It's the only population of mountain goats in North America that is very clearly suffering from a pneumonia outbreak. Okay. Obviously, pneumonia pneumonia has wreaked havoc on wild sheep across North America, not so much in the wild goats. Nevada has this problem. It's kind of ground zero for this. For this disease outbreak, uh, certainly they can transmit it to a wild sheep very easily. Yeah. So a lot of people are living in fear of pneumonia transmission. It's called MOV, and it's the infection that can cause pneumonia, and living in fear that goats could potentially infect our wild sheep. Yep. So a goat tested positive... In Washington last year, it could be a false positive. They don't know. A goat tested positive in Jackson Hole a couple of years ago. Again, very realistically is likely a, a false positive okay. in the testing. But those are huge red flags to wild sheep enthusiasts. And uh, <laughs> it, let, me, let me back up and say one of our most cherished relationships is in fact with the Wild Sheep Foundation. We work really closely with them on a lot of stuff. But um disease outbreak and wild animals is certainly something to be cautious of. Oh yeah, man.
0: Hugely. Are there any areas are there is there any native mountain goat range that where mountain goats were extirpated from the range and they've never made it back? Like, if you looked at a map at the time of European contact that showed where goats are, right? are they still everywhere they were?
2: No, there was, and you know, before the Europeans, mountain goats were as far as Mexico, and it was a an ancestral goat. Um, it's not an actual mountain goat as we know it today, but there was a subspecies of mountain goats that lived as far as Mexico when the ice fields were that far south yeah during the Pleistocene epoch, and then they started receding to the north and the goats kind of that particular i think it's called the harris harrison mountain goat is the subspecies of goat that existed all the way into mexico they are completely extinct now the mountain goat that we know today um inhabited everything from alaska into parts of idaho and arguably utah
0: yeah you ever read the book the big sky i have not A mountain goat saves his life. Say what? I mean, he shoots the mountain goat and eats it, but it saves his life. Oh, perfect. In the end of the big sky. Yeah, uh, we always talk about that. It's such a good book, man. Who wrote it? I need to read it. Um, A.B. Guthrie. Huh. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up. You got a scratchy throat. You're all congested. You got a runny nose. You got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater. But you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater. Okay. At twc.health slash meat eater. Applying for tags each year in the West can be daunting. Yeah. I apply for everything everywhere. It's dawning. You have to go to a variety of sources to formulate your best guess as to where to apply. Well, this is a thing of the past now. OnX just launched hunt research tools to simplify the process for all hunters. This tool helps organize the data that matters, makes comparing hunt options easy, and helps hunters develop a plan based on real metrics rather than gut feelings. OnX Hunt also offers all elite members... A free digital membership to Hunt and Fool, who I use, for boots on the ground insight and knowledge and a membership to Hunt Reminder so you never miss another deadline. Stop stressing over application season and apply with confidence in 2024. Check out OnX Hunt Research Tools, free for all OnX Hunt Elite members. Not an elite member? Well, let's fix that. Use code MEATEATER to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt. This is an app I use literally every day. I use it for every aspect of hunting, scouting, trapping, you name it. For all things auto, do it yourself, and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at o'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's why people call Montana Big Sky Country because that book. Yeah, he coined the thing, The Big Sky. you ever read it every day. i Have not? Why not? I've never heard (laughs) of it. Can't read. So, <laughs> what? It, like, uh, where are you guys
2: at with things? How long have you been around? So, the idea came about in early 2013. I believe about a year later, we were granted 501c3 status from the IRS, so we became a nonprofit. Um, and things have kind of exponentially escalated every year. So, we started off just doing super grassroots projects here in Montana assisting with regional biologists mountain goats are a very hard animal to keep tabs on um, and they are nowhere near the top of the list of priorities of yeah. the average state biologist. Uh, public you know public interest certainly hasn't been focused on mountain goats and it has been on several other species and it's weird
0: because it must be 95 percent of them live on public land right <laughs> probably more probably yeah. more yeah. high high country all the
2: un- they're on all the unwanted land. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they say the, the, uh, the goat hunt starts where the sheep hunt ends. Yeah. But in Montana, the average mountain goat hunting district is surveyed every four years. The average sheep district or elk district is surveyed once or maybe twice a year. So very low on the totem pole of priorities comes the mountain goat. So when Why do you think that is? I love those things. Oh yeah. They uh it's just kind of out of sight, out of mind, you know? There's there's no public effort behind them until now. Yeah. You know, if you got the the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and all the weight and money they pull, of course elk is going to be a big priority in your state.
4: And uh you think part of it has to do with how durable they are that they're, we just have confidence that they're, it's just kind of let them do their thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But man,
0: that's the kind of attitude well, that Well, that's so dangerous. It. It's bad. But. Yeah. Cause you get a few bad years and all, and Lord, you know, and all of a sudden you're like, hey, what happened to all those things? Yeah. I
1: feel like for just general wildlife viewing, you just, you know, plucked a random citizen out from somewhere to the, you know, east of the Mississippi. Like, they want to see a mountain goat. Like oh, yeah. that to them. Is when like, I lived wow. here, we would
0: take people up and, with a spot scope and just part of the whole tour is you'd take them up and, and, and glass up some of the ones in the Bridger range and cool. people would be like, holy shit, you know? Very cool.
4: I love, you. Got what's going on? You got to be somewhere? No, just making sure the babysitter is uh, doing all right. She's doing good? She's doing good. She's drinking too much?
0: Um, <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> you know what I got interested in? them is uh, After moving to Montana, I had a girlfriend in and i was always putting in my applications and i'm like man you should put in too you know she never hunted
1: mm-hmm.
0: one year she drew a big horn u tag a goat tag and we got her a black barrel on one year oh my gosh she had a big year of big game hunting cool the goat tag we drew it in an area called uh blodget canyon which you may be familiar with i'm not so on the west side okay but uh we didn't know it. that's how I discovered Duncan Gilchrist. I was just trying to bone up. I had no idea. Yeah. I'd never been on a mountain goat hunt. I didn't know anybody that'd been on a mountain goat hunt. So we went up and was I was inexperienced at mountain hunting and just generally inexperienced at big like definitely inexperienced at mountain goat hunting and inexperienced at big game hunting outside of a handful of animals. So I had just moved from the Midwest to the West. And uh we were shocked to find one and kill the first one we saw, young nanny. Next I went on a goat hunt was a couple of years later. And by that point, we'd logged just some massive amount of time in the mountains. And we went up and our method then, our sexing method then, was to sit in this pass and look at a ton of goats. And we're like, that one out of the 11 that we're looking at is far and away the biggest one we're looking at, and started at that point. Great white buffalo, just being like, it's way bigger than everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Let's go investigate its
2: maleness. Yeah, you know? <laughs> let's learn from this guy.
0: So what do you, yeah, like what are the what do you tell people when you get into the, the the male female thing? It's like like I've spent a lot of time looking at animals. I've been on go hunts. I've skinned several of them. I can't. If I look at one from 300 yards away, I I don't immediately be like, oh. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I stare at it. You're lying to yourself. You say it's easy. Um, So what are like what are the things in your conversations and your experience? What is like the thing you're
2: looking for? You gotta watch them pee. Is that right? Yeah, that's the nail in the coffin. The boys stretch out like a big Clydesdale and pee like a horse, and the girls squat. Do they pee every hour? They pee every time they get out of a bed. They do. I mean I would bet, bet I don't have the data to back this up but probably 95% of the time a mountain goat gets out of its bed it takes a piss. So mm. that's like the thing you're looking for. That's the that's the dead giveaway. You can determine the gender of a mountain goat without watching it urinate by the by the glands on its horns. Yep, you got to kind of kind of take a look at the big picture. There are several key identifiers that will indicate the gender of a mountain goat and it's important to look at all of them and not just one of them because if you make your mind up on just one attribute that you see in this goat you could be wrong so uh nanny a girl typically will have a skinny tall horn with a kink in the top quarter a sharp kink yeah like almost a point where it looks like it was bent something bent it yeah a boy is gonna have a heavy horn and a gradual sweep, a big gradual curvature, no kink, just a clean swoop. But dude, that alone is confusing because I've looked at oh, pictures. You, know, you better not just you better not make your decision on just yeah, that.
0: That this is, now and then you see one, a picture, you're like, Oh yeah, dead on. Sometimes you look at it and you're like, Oh, that's something. and they're like, No, that's no, not.
2: Yeah. So we host these Billy vs nanny quizzes on our social media platforms and they're pretty popular. And people eat it up. So we'll put up a picture of a mountain goat and say, what do you think? Is it Billy or nanny? Is that right? And they're increasingly popular. And uh, it's a good educational tool throughout the, throughout the work week. But we definitely, there's some very, very experienced, legitimate people that participate in these quizzes that get stumped. I mean, I get stumped. I it's, mean, it's, well,
4: it's tough because some of those old nannies have some big old long oh, horns yeah. too, right? So it's not like you can judge them on just pure size you or gotta look, length, You got to you know? look at the whole picture. So
2: the gland. So a common misconception is a, only the Billy has a gland. That's not true. Girls got glands too. They're just way smaller. So both the boys and the girls have glands behind the horn. The Billies have significantly larger glands. They look like hockey pucks late in the season behind their horns. They can always all rutted out. And they rut late, right? Yeah, November. Yeah. And um, the Billies are obviously going to be significantly larger. A 10-year-old Billy looks like a albino silverback gorilla walking around the mountainside they're big Mm -hmm. they're big and i've seen that like when you see like the man oh you kind of know he's the man but when you're
0: looking at a band of them it's tough
2: i tell people that the mountain goat you want to shoot is the one that you look at and immediately make your mind up there's no question about it he's just a tank and there's no there's no two ways about it he's definitely a billy and he's definitely big that's what they tell you about about grizzlies yeah. Right? You can look at you know, you know
0: the sub-adults all day long. they like, I don't know. I think it's this. I think it's that. But he goes, but you know what? As soon as when he him. When he steps out, you're like, oh, big boar. That's him. You know, and all that sussing out, those minor little things. How long have you been talking for, Yanni?
1: Hour and a half, 15.
0: All right, so what do you need from people? You know what? I think there should be a rule. Mm. If you draw a goat tag. You have to join our organization. Yes. I like that. How many states know. have goat seasons? Okay, not count Alaska,
2: because like, Alaska, you can buy the registration hunts 13. and all kinds of stuff. Well, let's count Alaska. You got Alaska. Well, we don't draw, though. You can just get them. States that you can hunt mountain goats in, though. 13. But I think it's, I can count them off here. It's Alaska, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Nevada, Utah, South Dakota. South Dakota has a tag? Oh, they're, yeah. they're crawling all over to Crazy Horse Memorial. I'm headed to South Dakota in the morning for a mountain goat project. But they give a tag out. They gave two tags out in 2015. It was the first permits they've issued in over a decade. And did, the, did the guys get billies or female? They got two billies. Nice. Yeah. Um, they're in the Black Hills? They're in the Black Hills. It's a really incredible story. The Back in the 1920s, half a dozen goats broke out of a petting zoo in Custer State Park. I heard this before. (laughs) No joke. Flash forward 50 years later, they had like a hundred of them (laughs) and they hunted them and they were there and obviously an exotic animal to the black Hills of South Dakota and they hunted them and then their numbers started to dwindle uh, for a handful of reasons. They augmented the population with an introduction from Colorado. Did they really? They like,
0: at that point they wanted them.
2: They want them. They owned up to them. They were like, we like them. They're, they're doing well. Let's make it happen. Hunting had been closed for 10 years. Mm-hmm. This is our, tomorrow morning starts our third annual volunteer project in the Black Hills of South Dakota. And 2015 was the first time in a decade that they decided to give permits out. So I like to give the Goat Alliance a little bit of credit there that we got boots on the ground and eyes on the hills and helped out a regional biologist doing it, some
1: counting. Doing some counting and doing some gender analysis. Oh, okay. Yeah, tell us about that. You guys organized, I think last year I tried to make it, but my wife actually shared it with me. She found it on like the Bozeman the Bozeman listserv or something like that. Like the
4: I like don't know, the if networking
1: internet thing that goes out to everybody. No, you're not familiar with that it's, like, <laughs> it's like the Twitter. <laughs> like Bozone or something along those lines. Anyways, my, my, wife gets, good. my wife gets emails from it and it's usually good, a lot of good, interesting stuff going on around yeah. town. And I want to say you guys were organizing like a big two-day goat count in the Crazies, yep. big camping trip. Yes, yeah, so we orchestrate
2: backcountry volunteer projects in several different states. The one that you're referring to was in the Crazy Mountains last summer. In the Crazies, I could talk to you for an hour for about the story of the goats and the crazies, but essentially that is what we do. We, uh, started a nonprofit with no money. And as Jeff with 2% can relate, it's a lot of headaches and a lot of late nights. But the thing that we did have was enthusiasm and momentum and passion and time. And we turned that into volunteer work. So This summer alone, we're working in several different mountain ranges in Montana, the Black Hills of South Dakota, the Frank Church Wilderness of Idaho, the Goat Rocks Wilderness of Washington, the Ruby Mountains of Nevada, the Willard Peak population of Utah. So it's bloomed into a lot of different uh, real... Real interactive volunteer but if I was going to show up at that one that was up here in the crazies, what yeah. would have that been like? You would have put a backpack on. I would have gave you a folder and told you good luck. And I would have found you at the end of the weekend and asked what you found. So we divide and conquer. We, we separate our volunteers out across the mountain range. And we document every mountain goat sighting. And we try to uh, document the gender of the animal, uh, general observations, social interactions, you guys photograph them? We do. Yeah, we film them and photograph them. So we also have the responsibility of kind of, yeah, is the goat healthy? Yeah. Is the goat... Are, See, does just it have fun. a fun, even
1: if you're not a hunter. It'd be like a fun little yeah, thing man, to go I do. Yeah, you know, people not.
0: do that, like geocaching stuff. I'd much rather go out and look for a damn goat. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now, uh, what do you think about all that, Pounder? I think it's cool, man. I got one question. Um, if somebody does want to do that, say they live in, like, Miami... And they're like, I really love mountain goats. And they want to go like on one of these things. Miami, Florida? Yeah. Are, you worried, they live about, somewhere really are you worried about them being a detriment? No. But like say they want to go on one of these volunteer things, right? Where they go and identify. Do you guys, I guess it's hard, but do you ever do like travel stipends for anybody? Where like if you come and volunteer your time, we'll like help you out with a ticket or put you up or something like that.
2: We're too poor for that. Yeah. But uh, no, to answer your question, no. you do guys provide mountain house? We do not provide Mountain House. <laughs> I will provide you with a folder and a pen. <laughs> You're like, and I need that pen back. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a hug, and I'll ask you for the pen back. Yeah. <laughs> one day, though, yeah, we yeah, one he day should man. offer
1: that. Yeah. that, right? that
2: we, uh, what's pretty cool for our Idaho project this summer. We're working out of Yellow Pine, Idaho, with the regional biologist out of McCall, Idaho. We have two pilots volunteering their time, airplane, fuel, and aircrafts to nice. the project. Wow. Do some
0: serious count.
2: Man. This is the first time in the GoToLines history that we will have two fully donated airplanes surveying it from above with boots on the ground, volunteers on the mountain below. So how do you guys get money? Donate, have, do you have like state?
0: Do you get government grants or does it just come from donors?
2: So we have a membership base, Annual annual dues. Uh, take care of a lot of our operational expenses. What's it cost to join for a year? 35 bucks. Okay. We got a three year membership for 100. We got a lifetime membership for five. We have an annual business sponsorship available for $250. So companies like Sitka Gear are behind us um, and are also going above and beyond sponsoring uh, our educational projects and donating to our conservation fund. Um, besides that, we do a trade show circuit every winter, and that's kind of our bread and butter. We got a pretty, pretty badass logo. And so people like our shirts and hoodies and t shirts. And to be honest with you, that's where a lot of our revenue comes from right? selling shirts. Yeah. What's your guys' website? We have a handful of domains. Yeah, I did the hum, same hum, shopping. Hum D with, a, with a numeral two. Right. <laughs> it's a backwards question mark. And then, no, uh, it's goadalliance.org rmga.org. Rocky no, mountain. did you have any problem finding that? No. Goatalliance.org. Really, Goatalliance.org. What's really funny though is we were talking about someone else has mediator.com or something. There's like a junior high school girls cheerleader squad that uses the same acronym RMGA. So if you look at Instagram hashtag RMGA, it's tons of mountain goats and then like twelve year old girls doing backflips. Yeah, it's pretty weird. <laughs> but you, they didn't lock up your website, though. No. Tell me again what it is.
0: Goatalliance.org. All right. So if you've drawn a goat tag, and see, I, I, this, I, I have to stick by this, because I, I did draw a limited draw goat tag in Alaska once. If you draw a goat tag, you have to go down there and kick in, man. Oh, yeah. Come volunteer with us. Lace your boots up. Yeah. Go look at some mountain goats. Oh, yeah. I love looking at mountain goats. Me too. I like how you sometimes stumble into them in weird places too. Like when the snow gets deep and they
2: come down the timber a little bit more. So just last week, north of Bozeman, a giant billy showed up just off a of county road in the Bridger Mountains. And a buddy of mine was out looking for bears. He says, you're not going to believe what I'm looking at right now. It's like, I got a goat 200 yards off the county road. Oh, yeah? Start sending me pictures of it. I'm like, what was he doing? looking for bears.
1: No, no, no. What was the goat doing? Eating. Just out in a, no kidding.
2: Yeah. He was just eating down in a, a super green gut right off a of County road. Just fed all the way down <laughs> to the flat. Yep. So I got, a, I was, I was at work and I got on the horn and called a handful of photographers I know in town. And one of them was free and he bombed up there and photographed this thing. And it's like easily a 12 year old Billy Bro. all by himself, cool. 200 yards off a of County road and like, borderline antelope country that's a rare sighting yeah pretty
0: wild hey was it you was it you that got our our friend randall williams into a bear
2: i i did go hunting with randall williams this past weekend yes and you got a bear we got a bear yeah he's pretty excited oh yeah randall's a good friend of mine randall and i went to high school together and uh i've taken randall bear hunt randall's a very accomplished hunter but i have so i shouldn't have said you got him into a bear well,
0: I heard, <laughs> I heard a rumor that you had found the bear. Yeah,
2: I've been watching the bear for about two weeks. Yeah. I'd go see him every night. Is that but, right? He's holding tight. Yeah, so Randall, Randall's a very good friend of mine, and I had taken Randall hunting here for bears in southwest Montana. This was our third year doing it. In 2014 and 2015, it got real Western. It We just had these really god-awful backpacking trips where we got way in over our head uh, a combination of weather and trying to figure out new hunting spots and it was just a total goat rope and never got Randall a bear and it was kind of on me because I, I was showing him around my hunting spots you know and we got ourselves into some pretty god-awful situations on a handful of different occasions. this year I was like I knew when he was coming. I was gonna drop everything to make it happen, and so we did. We invested a lot of time scouting before it's Randall got found here. One. Yeah, we found a bunch of them, but this one was extremely consistent. It took us five and a half hours to get to him. Randall shot him at 431 yards. Took you five and a half hours to get over to him, or to get to hike up into where he was? Took us five and a half hours when I left the truck. To when oh. we put a rifle on the ground to shoot. Got gotcha. you. It was far. It's easy to put a spotting scope on something. It's a little tougher to, tougher to get over. walk over to them. Yeah, Yeah.
0: we used to wind up, in, like when I used to do a lot of spring bear hunting here, we'd wind up in just kind of some miserable situations, man, because the weather
2: was very erratic. Oh my gosh, yeah. We were hiking in anywhere from two inches to two feet of snow. We got some snow late last week and it stuck. So our whole hike was in the snow and it was pretty shallow but then you get on a north face and you'd be up to your hip and some yeah. of this stuff and it's just miserable I remember that just on again off again with snowshoes yep I'm not smart enough to carry those so I just post hole my whole way up <laughs> oh there.
0: yeah man it's nice that spring snow you can just grease across oh man, yeah it's nice alright so anyhow Chris uh, Chris Gill you got, you got concluding
3: thoughts Uh, you're thinking about dinner yeah I'm kind of thinking about dinner enjoy the conversation Learned a whole bunch. I like learning. I want to to hear
2: more about Iraq, Afghanistan.
3: Uh. Oh yeah, I do. You don't have to have one. No, no, I do. It's kind of off topic, but it it kind of goes back to the suffering. Um, On that first shoot that I was on in BC, we're talking about like observing observing animals, and I'd like never seen a why I'd seen like a black bear on a ski lift in the summertime. He was riding the ski lift. Well, no, yeah, yeah, he was sitting there <laughs> waving. Yeah, um, but I had not ever seen like a, a wild grizzly bear, and like we saw one one of those early days. But then it was like uh, we saw that pack. That dude came in on top was too. Yeah, and that one was really that was cool, man. Yeah, yeah. And then it was just like after that week of fog and rain and snow and hail and like the whole thing, and then just seeing those ones like feeding and flipping boulders over and just moving was like so worth all that gnarly suffering just like watching it yeah you know and i don't know if that's just because i don't get to do that often but no dude it's magical to watch yeah well magical is a good
0: word it's cool it's magical to watch them one of the things i wanted to talk about tonight we're gonna have to save it is i was gonna talk about some uh current political issues surrounding that animal but um yeah man it's cool it's it's uh, it's you feel privileged. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, you know especially, especially outside of the park. You know? <clears throat> oh yeah, you know we used to always have a thing like when people be like, "Oh, I saw a blank." We didn't count it if you saw in a park. So you'd be like, "You ever seen a wolf?" And you'd be like, "Oh yeah, in the park." You'd be like, "Eh, that's not what I'm talking about." <laughs> <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. You do that for your car window. I'm talking about the real ones, man. Yeah. Yeah, Yanni. That's it? That's all I got. You don't want to plug your new Fish to Eat t-shirt? Is that for sale? It is. I like it. It's not selling. People don't want a Fish to Eat shirt.
1: Yeah, and we forgot to get that picture today. I clobbered a whitey today on the head, man. I had my t-shirt on everything. We totally (laughs) forgot. He's talking about a mountain whitefish. Mountain whitefish, yeah. People don't like a Fish to Eat shirt. Well... Can see that. you know what it is we're probably just not marketing it properly
4: they might like it better if you gave all the proceeds back that's right you should start giving them away <laughs> 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 um, I got
1: yeah that'll be my concluding thought is today fishing as much as I'm always talking about how like yeah fuck that fly fishing I'm not gonna I'm not that into fly fishing anymore I was enjoying, I was telling Chris, I was like, you know, I'm not really into like, I don't need to catch a bunch of fish right now, but standing here, water's rush, rushing around me, got a nice view, there's something nice about this, I'm having fun, and then I caught a fish, and then all of a sudden, man, I was just, I like changed, you know, you all of a sudden, up. yeah, man, my, my focus got into like, I like, all right, I'm going to really pick apart this riffle now, and just started like, you know, getting all technical, and I could feel this like energy, and I was like, man, I really didn't like Well, you caught thing. the fish though.
0: Yeah. Because I've noticed that fishing with people, how when someone catches a fish, all the lazy asses all of a sudden start fishing hard for 20 mm-hmm. minutes. <laughs> that always <laughs> just drives me nuts. They get all interested all yeah, of a sudden. You know? Set yeah. your beer down for watch minute. Then you watch them, <laughs> then you watch them kind of fade away, you know. Yeah. Concluding thoughts, Pete? Well, it's John Muir's birthday. It is? Oh, yeah. Right. So. He, uh, he was born on the day Prince died. That's a
2: weird way to look at it, but it's extremely factual. That would mean nothing to him. No, he wouldn't be too concerned about that. He'd <laughs> say, what prince? What purple right? So, <laughs> so t- tell me about that. What's that mean to you? Well, John Muir's a, uh, an extremely uh, inspirational conservationist that I look up to. Yeah. And, you know, founder of the Sierra Club and everything that he's done. And... Yeah, just my social media got blown up with John Muir quotes today. It was awesome. Is that right? So you got some good ones? Oh, I got like six in my head right now. Can you give me one or two? I think my favorite one I read today, I hadn't heard it yet. Everybody knows the the mountains are calling and I got to go and whatever. And the one I heard today, I'd never heard before. It was between every two pines is a doorway to a new world. And that kind of struck home for me. I like yeah. I like walking through the woods. You got any more? I said I had six, right? So I. Well, I'm not gonna five hold you five. To it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's it. I guess my only ending note would be. Uh,
0: you know, you. I like there was a miracle. I like when he was going up. I can't remember it, but he was uh, went up near where I have a cabin in Alaska, mm-hmm. and he had talked about. I'm gonna mutilate it, but he had talked about um, that the islands. You know, there's so many of them. They look scattered like someone who'd been sowing seed. Oh. I don't remember the quote, but it was a doozy, though. Talk about a visual. Yeah. Wow. it's good stuff. You got any
4: concluding thoughts? Yeah, you know, I... Going out for some pasta tonight? <laughs> Super. <laughs> <laughs> Still thinking about getting my dual citizenship over here. <laughs> Figuring out what the value is going to be. uh yeah. You know, my mind is just running, thinking about how the heck we can... Plug your, plug hey, your organization, people. man. Well, yeah, well, I think two concluding thoughts. I'm really interested in how we can educate people to not shoot nannies. Like, that's a tough one. Like, what do you what do, you do to, to you teach people that? You know what? Here's all it takes. In my mind, like, I
0: generally feel that people, with notable exceptions, I generally feel that people want to do the right thing. Yep. Okay? People are generally very receptive to information that will help them do a better job in life, in the out of doors,
4: especially if you can say, and here's why that matters. Yeah. I don't disagree. I think, yeah. I mean, that's the ticket. I think that's what you've, you've discussed is how do we deliver? What is that better information? How do you deliver it to people? and Get them to actually read it. People don't read stuff. Yeah. That type of stuff.
0: I remember like with the, with the, with the Grizzly, Brown bear thing. I just remember uh, watching a thing put out by um, the Wildlife Management Agency in Yukon saying that if um, we restricted the harvest to males only, we'd have three times as many bear tags.
4: Well, I think think Alaska, Mm. I think, you know, I could be wrong. I could screw this up, but they have Alaska Department of Fish Game put out this, it's like an hour long video all about identifying boars for brown bear hunts. But I I think that was made by UConn, though, right? Maybe it was, and I believe they require you to have it to watch it. I I mean, loosely require you. But I'll tell you, you watch that some bitch a
0: thousand times and still look at a bear and be like, man, I cannot tell.
2: Every bear looks big when it's alive. But the pee thing is good stuff. Oh yeah, Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, a lot of people say. A lot
0: of people say about observing bears. Like, if you really want to know, wait for it to pee. But the problem on bears, like a goat, you might have a long time to watch the goat, and you might be able to go find him again tomorrow. Bears, man, a lot of times, yeah, they disappear. Yeah, but it's just like there he is, and then it's like then you look for him for a week and you never find him again.
4: Right. Yeah. What was your, you had a second concluding thought. Yeah. So my my last conclu- concluding thought for for your the concluding 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 thought for this shameless plug is is to your your question, Chris, about a guy in Florida that wants you can to call volunteer. Him Rich. <laughs> 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 Got it. That guy in Florida <laughs> wants to volunteer, and here you are struggling to get volunteers, and, and part of the organization 2% that we're trying to do is, is foster all this, this uh, volunteerism. It's, I, I'm just excited to hear both those questions, and, and hopefully what we can accomplish is, is connecting that guy up with this organization and, and getting people out there to, to, to get involved.
1: Yeah, yeah. you could get some contractor that gives a shit to fly Chris out from Chicago out here to help.
4: Yeah.
1: Hopefully, did you have someone in mind in Miami? No, I just it's
0: far away. It just feel like a far, <laughs> just feel like yeah. a far away place. Yeah.
4: I mean, how sweet it would be if that guy that he works for a business in Miami and that that business is telling all their employees like, "Go volunteer, we're gonna pay you today." Go, yeah. Go to Montana, and count goats. I like it. Uh,
0: it's yeah, doing stuff. I uh, let me start that thought over. I reaped the benefits quite literally. Reaped the benefits of the out of doors for decades before I ever thought about settling up the debt that I had accrued during a lifetime of amazing adventures and seeing things that no one's ever seen and doing stuff that I will think about for the rest of my life. It just like, I think that people get to a point when they go like, holy shit, have I had it good. You know? Maybe it's about time I don't just think about everything that that the outdoors is going to give to me. Pay it forward. Yeah. It hits people. I mean, some people it doesn't. Some people it hits them young. But uh, I think that in some way, you know, organizations like like what you guys are trying to do, is just to sort of say to people, listen, man, like, and I say this all the time, we live in the good old days. By many standards, by many measurements, right now, oh, yeah. is the good old days. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity out there. There's a lot of elk in North America right now. It's just, but it's not by accident. It was by accident 150 years, not by accident. It was there 150 years ago We messed it up. It was built back. I'm speaking very specifically to the U.S. It was built back from the ground up, the resources, hunting and fishing resources we have, in large measure by hunters and fishermen. That needs to be continued
4: because it can very easily go in the other direction. Yep, yep. You got it. And so- I remember my fourth bullet point, right? Which I think Kai's right into that. Oh yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's good because I, was thinking, I, was, a like, lot, I was thinking a lot less of you through this whole, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> whole circle here. I don't even know what's so on the website that I wrote all dude, the content can't for. front of a gun! <laughs> but it, but it's recruitment and retention. It's about you know getting youth, uh, minorities, middle-aged people who have never hunted or had the opportunity to hunt and fish. You know how do we how do we get people involved and educate them on what conservation is and the way our, our model model conservation funding for state and wildlife agencies works it's we need people to buy fishing licenses hunting tags right so so what are we doing to, to, support, to foster yeah, to that to
0: agencies that get sure. very
4: little hard funding from the state that's right if people aren't all if their people research, aren't fishing and people aren't hunting yeah. then then they're struggling at funding so so recruitment and and getting new people involved in hunting and taking somebody out to fish for their first time so important so organizations that that are have programs that that focus on the, that type of activity are. Are crucial
0: all right got any last because there's a lot built up after your concluding thought <laughs> i don't have a concluding thought tonight i kind of gave my concluding thought
1: oh i thought yours was great about um you know yeah that was a good
0: cl-
2: concluding thought though
0: all right um thank you guys for coming down thank
1: you for having yeah us. thank you very much for having us Hey, if you follow wildlife news at all, you're
0: probably aware that the island of Maui has an incredible abundance of Axis deer, so much so that they're causing ecological damage. Well, Maui Nui venison is thinning out some of those Axis deer herds and delivering venison sticks and fresh cuts to your door. Visit mauinuivenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com. Use promo code MEATEATER for 20% off your order. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without your essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time. Getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear.